Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, liberal billionaires use a Supreme Court precedent to try to follow in the footsteps of President Trump. Controversial MSNBC commentator Al Sharpton sells his life story to his own nonprofit, and the nation remembers President George H.W. Bush and his thousand points of light. I hope you aren't tired of elections because the next election, the 2020 presidential contest, has now begun. Among the potential Democratic challengers headed to Iowa is billionaire gun control campaigner, anti-soft drink and anti-smoking activist, environmentalist donor, and former mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg, who traveled to the state this week. Among the groups Bloomberg met with was Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense, a group affiliated with the Bloomberg-funded Every Town for Gun Safety network of gun control activists. If Bloomberg does run, he will follow his prospective Republican rival, sitting President Donald Trump, as a billionaire to chase the Oval Office. And it's possible Bloomberg won't be the only billionaire in the caravan of Democratic challengers. Environmentalist donor Tom Steyer has created a political operation through his next-gen climate groups, which include an openly political 527 committee, an issue advocacy group which can make unlimited expenditures, and a tax-deductible 501c3 arm, which observers suspect could form the skeleton of a presidential campaign of his own. Bloomberg, Steyer, and Trump all have a substantial advantage over their more traditional rivals, a constitutional right to spend functionally unlimited resources on their campaigns. Thanks to a 1976 Supreme Court case titled Buckley v. Vallejo, in which then-U.S. Senator James Buckley, brother of conservative intellectual William F. Buckley, and a number of others, including left-wing presidential candidate Eugene McCarthy, the New York State branch of the ACLU, and the Libertarian Party, sued to overturn the 1971 Federal Election Campaign Act, which placed restrictions on campaign contributions and expenditures. While much of the law survived, the Supreme Court threw out chunks of it, most relevantly limits on expenditures by candidates on their own campaigns. The court held that expenditures on candidates' own campaigns were protected free speech, much as a later Supreme Court would hold in Citizens United v. FEC that expenditures not coordinated with a campaign were free speech, and therefore could not be limited. This gave super-rich candidates an advantage, the ability to give their campaigns millions in direct support without the need to aggregate maximum contribution outside donors. In 2016, then-candidate Trump took advantage of the Buckley rule to spend over $66 million on his campaign, $11 million of which went to his own companies. Trump, Steyer, and Bloomberg are hardly alone in trying to exploit the Buckley rule to build their own political operations in support of their own political careers. Governor and Senator-elect Rick Scott of Florida has liberally supported his own election campaigns, spending $73 million in his effort in his first effort to be elected governor of Florida in 2010. In the process, he built a political machine credited with keeping Republicans in control of the state in 2018, despite a Democratic wave election. Outgoing Governor Bruce Rauner of Illinois spent over $71.5 million on his 2018 re-election campaign. The man who defeated him, Jay Pritzker, spent $161.5 million on his successful effort to oust the Republican Rauner. Our second story, New York City street activist turned MSNBC commentator Al Sharpton courted more controversy when it emerged that his activist organization, the National Action Network, paid him $531,000 for the rights to Sharpton's life story. National Action Network is organized as a tax-exempt 501c3 nonprofit organization. The organization also pays Sharpton over $200,000 annually in salary and other compensation for Sharpton leading the organization. The IRS has rules restricting excess benefits transactions with nonprofit organizations and their officers. 
though it's unclear if National Action Network violated them. They probably didn't. It is legal, for instance, to hire a contractor employing the spouse of a senior nonprofit official, which recent filings suggest the National Rifle Association did. Regarding Sharpton, a Fordham law professor contacted by the New York Post said, quote, When I see this kind of thing, it just makes me roll my eyes, because there's so much potential for funny business. Over the years, Sharpton has faced criticism for extremist statements and apparent endorsement of violent actions. In 2000, a man who is now his fellow MSNBC contributor but was then a Republican congressman from Florida, Joe Scarborough, filed a congressional resolution condemning Sharpton for anti-Semitic comments and for contributing to the incitement of an anti-Jewish riot by, quote, fierce demagoguery, among other things. Today, Scarborough has Sharpton on his show to talk about how to counter racism and anti-Semitism, because lol, nothing matters. Finally, we close remembering the legacy of the 41st President of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, who died this week. In his acceptance speech at the 1988 Republican National Convention, Bush spoke of a thousand points of light radiating out from the individual through the family into local communities through civic organizations. Of course, in the 30 years since Bush accepted the nomination, it's reasonable to conclude that those points of light have dimmed. As has been well documented by scholars including the liberal Robert Putnam in his book Bowling Alone, to libertarian scholar Charles Murray in his book Coming Apart, local associational life in America has diminished. And that decline in local association, along with declines in church attendance, may be a contributing factor to social and political developments as apparently distinct as the rise of democratic socialism on the left and the election of Donald Trump from the right. Importantly, the impact of these declines has been uneven. Murray wrote of Belmont, a wealthy enclave that kept most of the associational life, and Fishtown, a downscale working-class neighborhood that lost it. It is notable that in heavily Mormon Utah, one of the most Republican states, has been much more skeptical of President Trump than other equivalently Republican regions and other equivalently Republican demographic groups perhaps in part due to the strength of LDS church-based social institutions. As Washington Examiner commentator Tim Carney reflected, quote, If commentators want to tell a story of the fall from Bush's time to our current time, they should tell the story of secularization, of centralization, and of the collapse of local community among the working class. These forces created a large voting bloc that turned first to Barack Obama and then to Donald Trump, seeking a powerful agent of change in Washington the sense of agency, and the access to the good life that was absent in crumpled communities. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.